Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. Hey, Coach, uh, what do you think overall? Hey, Bruce. How are you, Brian? Good, how are you? Very good. Uh, What do you think overall about the makeup of your team? Obviously, you know, we haven't done a lot of things yet, but... And I'm not asking for a prediction, but just an overall feel for this roster. Yeah, I think you, you just said it. You answered your question. We, we haven't done a whole lot yet. Um, so this is the first day where, where we're all back in the building and get to know one another. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we have to install in terms of schematics. Uh, but we also have to talk about expectations and standards and, and get to know one another. There's a, you know, a little over five months until we, we end up playing and you know, a few months before training camp starts. So this is really just the foundational piece to you know, a long, long year ahead. Um, and we just try to get better each day and do the things that we need to do. Uh, can't look too far down the road on this thing. It'll, it'll get you pretty quick. Welcome into the show. We've officially reached voluntary minicamps, Dan. So players are back at the facility. We've heard from some of them and the head coach on Monday. Before that, we had John Mara dropping a bunch of noteworthy comments in the press. So, and what has definitely been a slow offseason for the Giants, we finally have some stuff to talk about here less than a month uh, before the draft, right? So it's good to be back on here with you. Happy spring, my friend. Happy spring, yeah. It's almost draft time. It's one of the most exciting times of the year for everybody. Um, you know, and it, it is. It's just nice to have anything truly football-related back. You know, you, you get caught up in the executive changes, coaching changes, free agency, and all that stuff. But it's it's just nice to have actual football conversations again. Yep, football's back here. Football is back, and, and we heard from a lot of these guys, including Dayball. Let's start there. Uh, John Mara, I'm going to – let's push him – further back in the show dan because as usual he's kind of the headliner every every time he talks there's all kinds of things to talk about so we're going to push him to the back but you know g- give me some takes on brian dayball he spent about 20 minutes on zoom with the reporters on monday uh what was what was some of your top takeaways from what was said was anything said of note for it you was, what were you working on was, in giants it, wire it was a remarkably dull press conference uh, especially in comparison to joe judge before him who you know we were joking off the air about how he has 1700 word answers and and dayball doesn't quite do that but although he will he will wear you down with pleasantries unnecessarily um but you know like i said that's that's a far cry from what we were used to with uh with judge before him and perhaps not so much humor before them, but um, he didn't really say too much. Basically that, you know, it's, it's big on uh, empathizing with players, getting to know them personally on and off the field, you know, as people, it was the first time he got to meet with any of them face to face. So that was sort of significant in its own way. He delivered about a 20 minute speech to the team on the expectations. Um, 
which sounded remarkably like Joe Judge in that regard. Uh, I'm not sure how fans are going to perceive that or if they're going to like that so much, but it, it was a it was a carbon copy, really, of, of expectations. Win every day. We've heard that uh, plenty over the last few years. So. Yep, yep. Yeah, so there was some differences, but there were a lot of similarities as well. Ultimately, it was like an old Jerry Reese press conference. Things were said, but not really of anything of consequence or significance. Well, you mentioned the pleasantries, and I just have to get this off my chest, Dan. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was it was way too grab assy for me. The whole presser, and and I, I do like Brian Dayball. I think he's, I think he was the best hire of this coaching cycle. I've said that on the pod. I like that he seems to be excited. That he's like running his own program now. He's treating the reporters like actual human beings, as somebody who watches Bill Belichick all the time here in New England. <laughs> like yeah, I, yeah. I respect that. Like treat the reporters like actual human beings, like they have a job to do. Uh, Dayball's definitely more laid back. He's more respectful uh, than than a lot of us are probably used to. That's all good. But Dan, asking a reporter in the middle of an April presser if the guy's daughter has a question, and then the daughter's going, "Oh, honey, do you have a question for uh, Coach Dayball?" Oh, coach. Oh, she's shy. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. There was a lot of that, Dan. There was a lot of, there was a lot of, hey, Brian, how you doing? Hey, hey, how are you? Good, good, good. You good? Yep. We're good. It's like, guys, guys, it's, it's April. We haven't been to the playoffs in like a million years. We've got a new regime in here again. We're installing new systems again, right? We're getting to know everybody again. Like, can we calm it down with all the pleasantries and the joking and, and all the grab ass? Like, can you just do that on your own time, Brian? Like, away from the mic? Like, play grab ass with the reporters later? Like, off the Zoom thing? Like, good grief. Like, I just I just hope this all gets weeded out here in the offseason, Dan. I hope it's just a Zoom thing. Because maybe it is just, just a Zoom thing, right? That it's like, you got to say hi because the person clicks on, clicks the mute on and off. I don't know. I just hope that all gets left in the in the preseason. Because if, like, the Giants are 0-4... And we're playing grab ass after the game, like th- like that would drive me insane. I- I'm not, I'm just not a fan that can uh-huh. that can consume press conferences like that. I, I can't envision that happening with an 0 four start. <laughs> but I-, I think this is very much who uh, Dayball, who insists we call him Dabes. Um, I just think that's who he is. He's a very personable, empathetic kind of sympathetic guy who who's genuinely interested in the people uh, that surround him on a day to day basis. Um, We'll see if that continues to carry over um, if the team struggles, because let's not kid ourselves. This is not the Buffalo Bills media pool here in East Rutherford. It's very different, um, and and they're not really particularly wonderful when it comes to grilling coaches <laughs> He'll learn uh, that. during yes, he'll losing learn streaks. And I have a feeling some of that personability is going to go out the window a little bit uh, when he starts getting hammered with the same questions just worded different ways when the team is losing. So... Um, might as well enjoy it while he can, and we might as well ignore it while we can because it's not going to last. <laughs> it's like a 20-minute presser, Dan, but five minutes of it is, is grab ass. It's like, okay, so I had to get that off my chest. I feel better now. Okay, again. It's, not, it's not unique to that presser either. That's genuinely been the way it's been for every time every time he's spoken. So, And, and I like him. I like him. I like that he actually, like, you watch him on the screen, and he's listening to the question. He's, like, he's into it, right? Like, I like all that. I think he's very respectful, but... God, man, can we just – let's not get carried away, uh, Dabes. Let's not get carried away. Uh, <laughs> all right, we heard from DJ, and he said some interesting stuff too, Dan. And Number one on the list probably that uh, the neck injury, he says, is no longer a concern. And, and I think we've all been concerned about a neck injury because a neck injury for a quarterback can be you know, almost a death sentence for a career, right? That's something that just won't go away. But he says 
It's not a concern. It will be cleared. He will be ready to go. So that was kind of a sneaky, big little little thing to hear the quarterback come on the camera and say that with conviction that he's going to be ready. And uh, so, so we know Jones is going to be under center for all of the offseason program. That's that's good. That's a good sign, right? That's that's a great sign. Maybe even you know, maybe even an unexpected one, really, because there was a lot of mystery surrounding Daniel's neck injury. There's, you know, there's yep. no denying that, you know, when he first suffered that injury, it was, you know, not supposed to be any big deal. You know, he could potentially play the very next week. Don't worry. He's coming back. He'll be back before the end of the season. Injured reserve. You know, is he cleared in the offseason? Could he have, um, you know, pl- you know, participated in football activities? The answer was no. Um Still not technically cleared, although I, I don't, you know, I don't put a lot of emphasis on that just simply because they're not conducting any, you know, on-field full contact activities or anything that he would need to be cleared from at the moment. Um, but that being said, I don't know necessarily that if they were, that he would be cleared right now, uh, just that he will be cleared. And, and I think that's a sign of how significant and potentially threatening that injury actually was. Yeah, and, and on the topic of the quarterback, let's get to the owner, right, John Mara? Yeah. Let's get to the – because I mean, he said a couple things of note in his latest uh, comments, which were a little while ago now, but we're getting to them. And uh, on Daniel Jones, Mara acknowledged that, well, Dan, quarterback is the most important position in sports, and you either have one or you don't. And the Giants, they have one. They have Daniel Jones, and that Tyrod Taylor is here to be the backup. And I guess my question here when I, when I hear Mara say this is like, is he hinting at anyone or is he hinting at anything, right? Because like you couple this with the comments that we've been hearing from Joe Shane and Dayball, what they've been saying, you've got this fifth year option coming up here soon, right after the draft. Like, are they planning to extend Daniel Jones in some fashion? Because when the owner keeps dropping comments like this, when the kid, like Daniel Jones isn't even technically under contract right now for next year, it's a little strange to hear him keep coming out and publicly endorsing the kid when he's not under contract right now. It is like, what are we doing? So uh, what's the plan here? Is Are they hinting that maybe some type of an extension, maybe they will maybe you know, do that 180. We've all been expecting them to not pick up that fifth-year option. Maybe they will. Maybe they have other plans in, in place. What do you think is going on there? Well, I think it's curious because the speculation, I've seen it from Pro Football Focus and some other outlets and some other writers are beginning to suggest that maybe the Giants do, in fact, pick up Daniel Jones' fifth-year option. I... I'm not on that bandwagon, and I'm a big Jones supporter. You know that. I still believe in the kid uh, fully. I think he can be a top quarterback in the NFL in the right offense, in the right situation. Um, but financially, from an executive standpoint, from a front office standpoint, I just don't necessarily know that picking up that fifth-year option is is prudent for the Giants. It's a, it's a lot of guaranteed money. If he goes out there and bombs, then you're then you know this year, then you're stuck paying him that guaranteed money next year. Not to mention, you know, Taylor's cap hit becomes much more significant next year. So you're paying, and, and guaranteed for that matter. So then you're paying, you know, two quarterbacks an absolute boatload of money, and that's you know absolutely unnecessary. I think they should ride out the season, see how Daniel Jones performs uh, in this new offense. I personally think he's going to do a lot better in Dayball's offense. I don't know how great the offense is going to be as a whole, unfortunately, just because, you know, it's another rebuilding year and a new system, a new offense, new everything. It's not like you could snap your fingers and it magically all fits into place. But either way, I, I just don't see how it makes business sense to extend Daniel Jones's contract right now or pick up a fifth-year option. 
I do, however, think that the Giants are firmly committed to Jones this season, and they still believe that he can be their quarterback beyond this season, although they're not you know, committing to that long term. They are committing to him right now. What I find amusing about that, however, is that there are so many people who are surprised by that. Like, they haven't been listening. They just, they feel like they've been being lied to this whole time, or there was some smoke, or there was some, you know, some game or something like this. It's never been the case. That's never been the case. I know people want to dispute that even now hearing me say it. It's just not the way it is. They were committed to Daniel Jones when they came in. Shane was as the GM. Dayball was as the coach. Mara has never wavered on his commitment to Jones. He takes full responsibility for the failures of Jones at this point. So anybody who thinks that this is any sort of surprise, the bottom line is they just have not been paying attention. Oh, in the previous regime too, Dan. Everybody. No, nobody's and, ever said anything right. different. It, it doesn't and, matter. And that's, what, and that's what really gets me about this. Is yeah, that, is that the, it's true. The, the in-league, the executives, the people who are paid to succeed at this level, big money, whose jobs, careers, lives are on the line, all believe in Daniel Jones, and the fans continue to tell them that they don't know what they're talking about. But the fact that you've had multiple GMs, multiple head coaches, multiple quarterback coaches, multiple offensive coordinators, multiple staffs, all who are like, this kid can get it done, and teammates who are all like, this kid can get it done. And the fans are just like, ah, you're all liars. Yeah, yeah, they're like, ah, it's Tyrod time, let's go. Uh, so as you were talking there, it kind of popped in my head, speaking on that fifth-year option piece, does the, like the same situation with Dexter Lawrence, right? So does that does that throw a wrench? Like, How does that affect the, the possibility that they could pick that up? It, it probably lessens that chance, right? I don't know if if one really connects to the other. I mean, it's a difficult choice that Giants have got to make anyway because you've got to figure out whether or not, you know, Dexter Lawrence is a fit in Wink Martindale's system. Is he going to be that three-down defensive lineman that you want to rely on um, in that particular scheme, in that particular system? I, I don't know how their evaluations on Dexter Lawrence are going. I think they're going to take right up until the deadline to make that decision, just as they are Jones. But the reality is the Giants are in really good cap situation going into next season, as long as they don't, you know, keep kicking the can down the road, as as Shane put it, like they did with Gano and Adoree Jackson more recently with these restructures. Those were considered last resorts restructures. So, you know, that that kind of adds void years, guaranteed money next year. And that takes a little bit off the cap. But overall, otherwise, they're in really good shape. And, and I don't think, you know, the decision on Jones is going to impact the decision on Lawrence or vice versa. I think those are going to be two completely independent decisions. Well, well going into the draft, the Giants roster is, is very interesting in how thin it is at certain, like absolutely thin at certain positions. But we'll get to that. I'm going to save that question here for a little bit because I want to finish this conversation on Mara. Uh, who do you think, who, who ultimately gets to make the call on the next quarterback, Dan? If it's, if it's Jones or someone else, do you think it's Shane or do you think it's Mara? Okay. I, th- I think it's one hundred percent, man. I genuinely do believe that when Mara says that, because Mara yeah, does like he he tends to like drop these bombs. Like he'll be like, oh, Daniel Jones, we got the guy," and he'll be like, "Oh no, we're not shopping Saquon, but Joe's the general manager." Like he yeah. he always does that. So it makes me think, like, is it is he is he really giving Shane the the power to do things? Because I, I just don't know how it helps when he comes on into the press and drops these bombs all over the place, um, and, and mentions players by name and and mentions their their situations with the team and, and maybe their long-term standing. Uh, I just feel like that is that helping Joe Shane when he's trying to rebuild the roster? I, I just don't know. I don't know. But you think Shane's got the power. I, I do think he has the power. I do. I think, you know, the only time Marin's influence is going to be felt at this point is if Shane and, and Dave all have some sort of disagreement over 
some you know some level of personnel but i don't really envision that being an issue simply because these two know each other so well and they know what each other wants and what they're looking for in players and talent personnel so i I don't really envision a scenario where mayor is going to have that sort of influence under this regime i could see where it happened under previous regimes obviously but with Shane and Dable, I think it's just going to be it's going to be Shane's decision. The only time Mara's going to intervene is, is if there's a disagreement. And, and really, more than anything else, I think what Mara was doing was parroting a lot of what Shane had already said. Like when it came to to Jones, you know, Dable and Shane have been committed to Jones from day one. They they've never wavered in that. As much as people want to believe that it's nonsense, they've never once wavered in that. Um, and and Mara repeated that. And when it came to Saquon Barkley. There, there was a little bit more wavering when it came to that. You know, Shane <laughs> said that, you know, the media misconstrued what he was trying to say about uh, Saquon. I thought it was clear as day. Um, the market never shaped up for Saquon, and then suddenly the opinion on him changed, it seemed. Uh, but that's neither here nor there at this point. The bottom line is is that Mara was essentially repeating things that Shane had already said, uh, just in owner-speak ways. Uh, you just wait. Uh, now that the market's fizzled on on James Bradbury, Mara's going to come out in a couple weeks and be like, "Oh, we love James Bradbury. He's not going anywhere, guys." <laughs> All right. So no, I'm just kidding. I think the universal consensus is that they do actually like and, and appreciate Bradbury. And I mean, I like do. I like the player. Yeah. I, I just that, understand. Uh, that's I understand the money. Love yep. the yep. love the player. Hate that contract. Yep. Yep. And, and then real quick, the other big headline that came out of Mara's comments, and again, there's always. You know, three or four bullet points when this guy speaks. And that's why you got to love the guy because he just, he, he gives us content, Dan. Um, he, he was asked about the Brian Flores lawsuit and he basically just came out and said, even if I'm offered the opportunity to settle, I'm not settling. I'm not settling. Mm-hmm. We're going to take this thing to the end uh, because, you know, the allegations against the Giants are false and we're comfortable with our hiring process and all that. Uh, but, you know, he decided to, you know, let that be known in public to, to drop that headline out there. Uh, do you, do you like that look for Mara that he did that? Because he, you know, Dan, he could have handled it another way and said, "Guys, I'm not going to comment on this right now." You know, like he could have dodged it, but he came out and kind of like emphatically said, "No, like we're not settling settling this. We're taking it to the to the nth degree." What do you think about that? Well, actually, that's the second time. Well, that's the first time Mara has addressed it so directly and bluntly. Yep. But the team through Mara released a statement previously that was every bit as blunt as that one. So. Um, I, I, if I'm, if, my personal interpretation is that Mara and the Giants have been offended by this. Um, they felt what they did was just. They felt that their their interest in Flores was just and genuine. Um, they've never wavered in the fact that they believe that he was one of the finalists. Mara obviously reached out to him before anybody else. Um, and, you know, standing firm on, his, on the reality that he's not going to settle, you know, to me, screams that he believes that they didn't do anything wrong and and they're willing to defend themselves to the end. Is it something that maybe he should have said out, you know, as opposed to just passing it off like Belichick did? I, I guess that's open for debate. Maybe he should, maybe he shouldn't have. You know, the bottom line is, is that he's firm in his belief that they didn't do anything wrong. He's not backing down from that. He's not turning away from it. In fact, he's digging in his heels. And and I believe him. I genuinely do. Like, And I think everybody who listened to him say that, um, should you know uh, there was no smoke blowing in that particular s- statement they're genuinely going to fight that until the very end yeah they're staying consistent they're staying consistent i guess that's that's one takeaway we can we could say with that um okay so going back to that you know we, we mentioned the roster when we were talking about dexter lawrence and i brought him up dan mostly because uh 
for defensive linemen going into the draft. We have Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams and uh, who? <laughs> you know, and it's like at safety. There's, so there are some other defensive linemen on the on the roster, but uh, safety. We have Xavier. We literally have Xavier McKinney, Julian Love, and nobody, <laughs> nobody else. Those are the only two safeties, uh, unless somebody's moving the safety. Those are the only two safeties on the roster. So really, really thin at certain positions makes this kind of a fascinating. Uh, situation for the Giants when they're already the most intriguing team going into the draft, right, Dan? Because they got nine picks, two in the first seven, five in the top 81. They can do all kinds of – I mean, their needs are pretty obvious, right? We, we've been talking about them for, for you know months. Offensive tackle, obviously edge. Uh, obviously, we need a tight end because uh, that's another position. Ricky Seals-Jones yeah. and who? <laughs> There's not much behind him. Uh, safety, now that Logan Ryan is in Tampa Bay. Uh, corner. You know, assuming James Bradbury, if something does have to give there, maybe he ends up coming back. I don't know. Running back with Saquon, linebacker. Like, you you could go down the list. They have all these needs, and they have two picks in the top seven. And, Dan, I could see them drafting one of these stud tackles. I could see them drafting an edge player if Kayvon Thibodeau's there. I could see them going safety if uh, if, if Hamilton, right? Hamilton, the, the stud safety's there. Corner, like Sauce Gardner, I could see them going corner. Like, what are they going to do? This is fascinating. I have no idea, but this is going to be fun. Well, it's a great problem to have. I mean, the, the depth is certainly not a great problem to have, but having all the choices in the draft, <laughs> right, right. You know, top 10 picks is certainly a great problem. Whatever they have. do is filling a need, really. You right. know? <laughs> well, I could tell you what they are going to do. They are going to take a tackle with one of those two first round picks. And that's good to know. You lock that in stone, mark it down, all takes exposed, whatever. I don't think it's really going out on a limb to say that they're going to take a tackle. No. I think that's obvious. I think in terms of mock drafts, you want to plug a tackle into one of the Giants' picks. Congratulations, you got one of the 32 picks. (laughs) There's some good ones. There's some good ones, right? I mean, it's like, Uh, I think John, didn't John uh, Fennelly write that it was almost idiot proof that if they went tackle at number five? So I hope that's true, Dan. I do Mm -hmm. hope that's true. But yeah, I mean, there's the the talent's really rich at the top there at tackle. It is. I mean, all three of those tackles are different at, at. you know, good at different things. You know, one's better run blocker than a pass blocker. One's a better pass blocker. One's a better all-around player. The bottom line is, is you, they're all really good players with very high ceilings. And, you know, if you have a choice of whatever one's there, therein lies the challenge. If not, then you win either way with whatever one, with whatever one is left there. Um, I think what's more intriguing is what the Giants do with that second first-round pick. One, because, you, as you mentioned, there's so many different spots that they can go and address and positions they can fill but i I think more importantly and i I don't think the giants have necessarily made this a secret they're open to trading back because they'd like to stockpile 2023 draft capital specifically Mm -hmm. so if they do look to trade back um in this particular draft they're not going to be looking for um, draft assets for 2022 so much. You know, if they pick up, they if they swap first rounders with a team, whatever, it's the extra that they're going to be looking to get from 2023. So the Giants may actually only end up with one pick in the first round this year and then multiple picks next year in the first round, which, you know, that's great because there's a lot of depth coming in next year too in terms of prospects, especially at quarterback, which, again, Pandora's box, that's a whole different conversation. Uh, but that might be why they're trying to, to, you know, have that insurance for next year so that they can maneuver if they want to, if they target a specific player, namely a quarterback. Um, so I think the most realistic option for the Giants, if, I, if I'm, you know, betting on it, 
is that they make that first pick, it's going to be a tackle, then they trade away the second pick. If they don't get the package they want to, then it becomes a lot more interesting because who do you target? What edge rusher is available? Where do you have him graded on your board? Is he the best player on your board? Is a linebacker, an inside linebacker, the best player on your board? A cornerback, a safety, a safety, like you said, Kyle Hamilton's a perfect example. He's someone who was considered potential top five pick early on. It looks like the Giants will have a shot at him now if they want him. His 40 time kind of dropped them a little bit. I, I'm not big into straight line speed in the NFL, but I know it's a metric that so many put so much weight on. Uh, but for a you know, for what would essentially be a strong safety, I don't really think it makes that much of a difference. And quite frankly, having Xavier McKinney play next to to Hamilton with Julian Love kind of, you know, in the third rotational role, I think that's a pretty good that's a pretty good pair of safeties you've got there. A pretty pretty good trio of safeties you got there. Yep. And if you end up being forced to keep James Bradbury, suddenly you've got yourself a really damn good secondary. And and there's no there's no other way around that. That's just that's how it is. You've still got Aaron Robinson who's developing, Rodarius Williams who flashed at times, Darnay Holmes who's gotten a lot better, Jaron Williams who's, you know, a good player. So if they do move in that direction, if they do decide to keep Bradbury, there's no draft day trade. I think Hamilton would be an ideal pick also if they don't trade down there. But it could be anybody. There's so much good talent there. Um, you know, they, they have their pick. It is idiot-proof, really, because, you know, you're going to get your pick of great players. And then in the middle rounds, you can look to, to pad up, you know, the offensive line, particularly at the tackle spots. Uh, the tight end group is deep, but most of them are mid-round guys. You can get a day one starter in the mid-round. There are running backs you can get that can come in and be productive um, right there in the, in the mid-rounds as well. So the Giants are, you know, they're, they're actually in a pretty good spot if they want to use all these picks. And I think the key is, though, that they don't want to use all these picks. And that's only going to make what they do in the draft all the more interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing the trade back buzz. And, you know, let me ask you about, I mean, there was a trade between the it was the Saints and the Eagles, mm-hmm. right? The Eagles. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they did one of these swaps, right? Where I think uh they what was it, like a three three spot move in the first round or something, but uh the Eagles got back a, like a first rounder and like a second or something like that. Yep. Like so that shows you the kind of compensation the Giants could get just to move back a few spots. Yeah. Um so that's interesting, right? Do you think that that's a good market, right? That even even trading back three or four spots, you could recoup not only a first-rounder next year, but, like, a second and possibly more. Right, yeah, there's no doubt about it, and I think that's probably why the Giants are going to look to trade back, because here's the thing. You know, they, they trade back a couple spots. They they swap the first-rounders. They pick up, you know, whatever. You know, throw in whatever, you know, uh, accounts for that first-round pick, whatever, whatever value these picks hold. Um, I don't think it really matters because the Giants are in such a good position with how deep um, – the top end of this draft class is in terms of various different positions that if there is a trade opportunity because teams are moving up to make runs on quarterbacks, that that would play so perfectly into Shane's first year hand that it would almost be unbelievable because you'd be able to trade back and probably still land someone like Kyle Hamilton or Sauce Gardner or one of the top edge rushers and then pick up that 2023 draft asset that you're, that you're looking for. So that, that would be an ideal scenario for the Giants, if I'm being completely honest. Trade back a couple spots, pick up a bunch of extra capital, and then still land a, you know, a day one starting player at an impact position that you need. So I, I, I would be almost blown away if they stay at five and seven and don't 
you know, real something else in here because you already see it with the Saints and other teams now and, and the Panthers, you, they're starting to, you know, come in the fray too where they're starting to maneuver uh, around in the top 10 in the first round because they are targeting these quarterbacks and that really is the best case scenario for the Giants. It is it is so fascinating because if they do pick, say they take their, their first three picks, right, um, they could get stud tackle that starts right away, stud edge player that starts right away, and maybe the top tight end in the draft in the second round, right? Like they, they could easily do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the kind of, you when you look at the depth chart going into the draft right now, there could be a lot of rookies playing, right, Dan? Like a lot yeah, of these guys yeah. they draft are going to be playing next year. You know, there's yeah. going to be a handful of them uh, playing a lot of snaps. So just going to be fascinating. I think our plans, to, you know, our, I think our plans to come back next week and really dive into uh, the draft, the rumors we're hearing, look at some of the mocks and, and really maybe try to narrow down who we think they're gonna they're gonna take and, and make some predictions and do our big draft preview next week, right? That's the plan. Uh, sure, and I and I think there'll be a clearer picture a week from now. I do because you know, listen, if Bradbury's gonna get traded, it's it's gonna happen relatively soon. If you know, maybe it'll happen to be a draft day thing, and potentially even after the draft. Although I don't I don't necessarily think that would happen, but you know. I think you're going to get a clearer picture of where the Giants are headed. You know, you're going to get those finalized mock drafts and all these last little tidbits of information. And I think we'll have a better idea of where the Giants are trending. But I, I do also at the same time think it's pretty obvious right now. The blueprint is is there for anybody to see. But I, I, what changes around them is going to dictate what they do. And I think that is what's going to clear the picture come next week because we're going to see a lot of movement probably, or at least attempted movement from teams looking to get up into the top 10. And, and Hey, with the Giants having two round two picks there, by the time we talk next week, it, it's entirely possible that they've traded one of those picks already. So pre-draft trade, that's becoming entirely a thing. Possible. It's becoming a yeah. thing. Yeah, no, it it is. Is, it's definitely becoming a thing. So really looking forward to talking, you know, getting more into the draft next week. And just a quick mention, uh, a quick, uh, just a quick shout out to Dave's coach Dayball. You notice what Dan and I did? We came on quick pleasantry, quick. We said hi, Dan, and then we got to the freaking point, and we covered a lot of topics in a short amount of time. Boom, 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 and we didn't play grab ass the whole time. So, Coach Dave's, <laughs> can you just take take a note out of our book? Listen to the Giants Wire podcast. That's how you do it. And the you know you get 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 to the next point, Dan. Get to the next point. Stop playing grab ass all the time. So again, that's that's just you know there it is, there it is. So, uh, so for Dan, I'm Ryan O'Leary. Thanks for joining us. Big draft preview next week. Join us for that. Keep your eyes on Giants Wire. We'll catch you next week. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.